Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. Nehemiah chapter 4. We've been teaching on this series called Rise and Build. Rise and Build. The Lord's put this on our hearts to be able to talk through and, and, and look at the life of Nehemiah. And as we've been studying the life of Nehemiah, I believe that his life is, is really a representation of who we are as the people of God and some of the things that we encounter as the people of God. Nehemiah felt a great burden on his heart to build a work for God and his assignment was to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. At this point, the temple of the Lord was, was rebuilt, but in order to secure orderly worship, they had to rebuild the wall, put a border around Jerusalem, and God uses Nehemiah, the, the, the name Nehemiah means comforter, and I even believe that's symbolic that the Lord in the New Testament would send a comforter who we know as the Holy Spirit to help repair the broken areas of our life. How many know in the Holy Spirit that all things are made new? It's because of the Holy Spirit that we are able to rise up and we are able to build and, and do great things for the kingdom of God. And so Nehemiah enters into the scene and he, and he begins to feel this burden of rebuilding these walls. And the first thing that he does is he begins to pray and fast. Novel idea. Anytime that you want to have uh, direction for what God's called you to do, pray and fast. The next thing is he seeks favor from God. After he sought favor from God, he got vision from the Lord for how he was supposed to rebuild the walls. And then he figured out the strategy of how to carry out the vision. And this is what we've been talking on. But, but, but this week in chapter 4, I want to lean in to something really specific. And that is this, is that in anything that you do in building a work for God, there's always going to come adversity. And if I can just speak from this title line today, advancing in adversity. Advancing in adversity. Now, what was Nehemiah's adversity? If you've read the book, and I, and I encourage you, read the entire book of Nehemiah. Put yourself in his shoes. And I'm telling you that, that you will see your life clear. If I can say this, Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a surefire book of how to get stuff done. That's the kindest way that I can put it. You want to, you want to know how to get some stuff done in life? Read the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book on how to get stuff done. And so here he is, he's rebuilding the walls. The people of God have joined together. We talked about that last week. The people of God, they're working hand in hand. They're rebuilding the walls. A great work is taking place. But there is a, an enemy, an adversary, who begins to rise up against Nehemiah. This man's name is Sanballat. Sanballat. Sanballat means sin revived. The name Sanballat means sin revived. And it isn't amazing when you give your life to Christ and you begin to build a great work for God that out of nowhere that sin wants to try and revive itself back in your presence and back in your midst. The devil will try and come at you. The devil will try and revisit you with old tricks and old tactics just to trip you up, just to get your focus off of Jesus. So the name Sambalot, it means sin revived. And the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 2 and in, in verses 9, 10, and 11, 
just to paraphrase it for the sake of time this morning, it says this, that Sambalot, and by the way, he had a sidekick by the name of uh, Tobiah, and, and, and the two of them are there, and, and, and they see that Nehemiah is building a work for God, and, they, and, they, and the Bible says this in chapter 2, that they despise Nehemiah, and they said, who is this that seeks the welfare of the Jews? In other words, who is this that is trying to fulfill a God-given purpose? Who is this that is trying to be a success for God's people? And I want to tell you this, anytime you put your hand to the good work for the kingdom, the enemy is going to get upset. He's going to begin to despise you. Now, this is one of several instances in which the enemy rises up and begins to to speak against Nehemiah. And I'm going to talk through those in a few moments. But in chapter 2, we see this, that Sanballat comes against Nehemiah. Later on in chapter 2, in the latter portion of it, again, he sees Nehemiah. He sees that his, his vision is beginning to to, to, to get some structure to it. He sees the people of God are mobilizing, beginning to prepare to, to, re, to rebuild and repair this wall. And so now this time, Sambalot is not just him and his buddy next to him. It says that there's a third party that's there. And he begins to talk poorly again about Nehemiah, trying to, 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 to stir up the pot a little bit. And I always think it's funny, too, whenever there is somebody that, that does not like what you're doing, isn't it amazing how they find somebody else totally unrelated that doesn't like what you're doing, and they become the best friends with one another, and they all start talking about what you're doing? I'm like, how are you two even related? And so as the story unfolds, you find that Sambalot continues to rally people around him. But at the same time, Nehemiah's got people that is rallying around him. And the reality is this, is that as adversity is rising, so is advancement. But God has designed you to advance in adversity. I just want to read this portion in chapter 4 as our story continues because Sambalot begins to make his presence known again on the scene as, as Nehemiah is building this great work for God. And the Bible says this in verse 1, but so it happened when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria, and he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, the stones that are burned? Verse 3, now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, I love this, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, it will break down on the stone wall. I love it. You always got the dude that's like, like bad news. And then you always have like his second class buddy that is like all show, no go. That's like, I could totally see him here. Here's Sambalot saying, he's very angry about this. What's going on? And then his buddies there's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, if you try and build it, even if a fox goes up. He's one of those guys that like if you check him, he's probably like flinching and hiding back behind Sambalot. You know what I'm saying? That's how, that's how I see this scene. So here they are and they're, they're getting infuriated. They're getting frustrated. But here's the reality, and this is what I want you to see this morning, 
And I, and I, and I, and I want you to, to, to receive this with an open heart. And if you want to take notes with, with this, you can. But this is what the Lord put on my heart about this. Is that whatever you start, the enemy is going to aim to stop. God is for you, but you have to stay focused. We know that the scripture says that in Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We know that Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. That's a key point, by the way. If you love him, he will help you fulfill the purpose that's for you. So he'll work all things together. He'll make sure that this work is completed. But the enemy does not want you to succeed in what you start. So what you start, the enemy is going to look to stop. I want to say this, not everyone is going to like the ministry that you lead. First and foremost, with the ministry of your house. Not everybody's going to like the way that you lead your household. Not everybody's going to like the way that you lead your business. Not everybody's going to like the way that you lead and the way that you serve in the church. And there's always going to be somebody that the devil will use to rise up and come against the good hand of God that's upon your life. Nehemiah made the statement that we will prosper because of the God in heaven that gives us the ability to prosper. But there's always going to be a devil that is going to try and rise against you and they're not going to like the ministry that God has given for your life. Look, there's a lot of people that don't like the way that I lead the ministry today. And I really don't care. There's a lot of people that don't like the way that I dress, the way that I talk, don't like the way that I do ministry in the service. But you know what? I'm not here doing a work for man. I'm here doing a work for God. So the door is in the back. But nevertheless, what I'm here to tell you is this, is that not everybody's going to be for you so you don't have to win the approval of others in order for you to be a success in what God's called you to do. I've made this statement before and I'll say it again. Stop trying to manage the image of yourself in someone else's mind. Who cares what they think about you? Stay focused and know what God thinks about you. The enemy said that we despise them, but Nehemiah knew that God loved him. When you understand that God's love is greater than what the enemy despises, then you have no worry, no concern, and no reason to be fearful of what the devil tries to come at you with. If God has given you an idea, a dream, a vision, a purpose, a ministry, lead it by putting the Lord first and trusting that he will prosper you and where he has sent you. God is prospering Abundant Life Church and where he has sent us and how he has called us and who he has assigned us to reach. We say this every week. We believe it with all of our heart, but we know this. God is a good God and God loves you and God wants you blessed. The devil does not like that. The devil does not want you blessed. And so the devil's going to do everything in his power to stop the very thing that God has started. You are not here this morning by an accident or mistake. I don't care if your spouse drug you in here. You are not here by an accident or a mistake. You are here with purpose in mind to hear this, that God is for you and he loves you. And so Nehemiah is in this situation right now where there is this adversary, Sanballat, who is a representation of the enemy, of Satan. And I believe that Sanballat was under great demonic influence as, as, as the devil would use to stop him from rebuilding these walls. What was Nehemiah aiming to do? Restore worship. What is the devil's number one aim? To keep you from having orderly worship. 
The Bible says that in Revelation chapter 12 that he went to war against the archangel Michael. Michael whooped him, 1-0, put him down, and he was booted out of heaven. He gave him the one punch, didn't even need a two. Him and a third of the angels were casted out of heaven to which they came into the earth. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And the reason for it was because the book of Isaiah gives us a clear picture. The devil got full of himself. He wanted worship for himself. He thought he was all that. So he started to rise up against God. And God said, ain't happening. There's only one lead singer, and it's me, not having another one in the band. And so he gives them the swift kick through the help of the archangel Michael. And so now here's the devil seeking to steal your worship for himself. And so anything that you are in fear of is what you worship. And that's why it's important that we have the fear of the Lord, that the Lord has our worship, that we put him first so that we can be prosperous in what we put our hand to. So now the devil comes into the scene representing as, as Sambalot, and he's trying to rise up against Nehemiah. But here's the thing, and I want to make this as a, as a note. The enemy is going to attack you because he knows that you have something to offer. Let me say it again. The enemy will attack you because he knows that you have something to offer. If you don't want adversity in your life, say nothing, do nothing, have nothing. You'll have no adversity in your life. Say nothing, do nothing, have nothing. And you'll never see the devil knocking on your door. But the reality is this, is that the abundant life comes from you saying something, doing something, and having something. He doesn't like the fact that you're prosperous. He doesn't like the fact that you're blessed. He doesn't like the fact that God's good hand is upon your household and, a, and upon your productivity and the gifts that God's given you. He wants to rob you of that and put all of that towards him. He won't tell you that. The Bible says that he masquerades himself as an angel of light. He'll trick you into thinking that, man, the efforts and the productivity and the things that you're doing, it's good as long as you're not giving God glory. And before you know it, you're going to find yourself in a jam wondering why is life starting to get hard. So if you don't want adversity, say nothing, have nothing, do nothing. But if you are the people of God and you're victorious, know this. You say the word of God. Yeah. <laughs> you have the word of God. The Bible says be a doer of the word, do the word of God. And God will put a hedge of protection around you. I make this statement, know that the devil will stop at nothing, at nothing, he will stop at nothing when it comes to your purpose. I'm going to just let this settle in. He will stop at nothing. He does not care about you. He does not like you. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy he is vicious, he is relentless, and he wants to take you out. Now, I'm not here to scare you, but I'm here to tell you about the opponent that is trying to come against you. But when you know who you are as the people of God, just as Nehemiah knew who he was as a man of God, Nehemiah knew that with God, he was relentless. And with God, Nehemiah knew that he was going to be unstoppable. And Nehemiah knew that he would rise up and that he would 
prevail. The devil will do, there's no length that he won't go to stop you when you're doing a work for God. And so when we look at Nehemiah and we see this work that he's building, there's momentum that's taking place. And so Sambalot is trying to stop the momentum. I even think about this in the Bible when Moses' day came and the Hebrew people became stronger and stronger. What did Pharaoh do? He looked to kill all the boys two years old and under, to weaken them. In the days when Christ was born, there was a coming king that was supposed to be the ultimate authority. What happened? Herod looked to destroy any newborn baby two and under to stop the strengthening, the authority that was to take place. Any time that you advance, the enemy is going to come as an adversary to stop you. So Nehemiah continues to put his, his hand to the work. And the Bible says that in Nehemiah chapter 4, that because they had a mind to work, they had gotten the wall built halfway to its height. And this only infuriated the enemy even more. Here's what I wanted to give you this morning. I think it's important that if we're going to talk about the devil, that we understand how the devil operates. I want to give you three strategies of how the devil operates this morning. And then to make sure that we keep this thing nice and clean, I'm going to give you three strategies of how all the believers should operate this morning. So three strategies in which the devil operates. The first one is this, the devil will come against you. Pretty simple, he will come against you. And a lot of times when he, come against, when he comes against you, it's to get you to question who you are. That's the first thing. The second thing is the devil will come around you. The devil will use people, places, and things to distract you from who God has called you to be, but what God has given you to use. So he'll come around you. Number three, if he can't come against you and if he can't come around you, he will use something within you to rise up and overthrow the plans that God has. There's a, there's, there will always be something or someone that is planted. So he'll come against you, he'll come around you, or he'll come up and rise up something within you. Now, where do we see this clear picture? Do you remember in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, when Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days of his fast? Remember this story? It says that Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, was now led into the wilderness by the Spirit in which he fasted for 40 days. Now look at this. The devil did not tempt Jesus until the last day. And it's at the very moment when it said that Jesus was hungry. The devil will allow you to have momentum in success, but he'll wait till the moment when he can catch you in your weakness, and that's when he'll aim to strike. Devil didn't tempt him for 39 days. He only came on the 40th day. And on the 40th day, he came to Jesus, tempting him in these three areas. First thing he does is he comes against Jesus. He says, if you are who you say that you are and you're hungry, command that stone to become bread so that you can eat. He questioned his identity. Jesus responded, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of the Father. Put him down. Then after that, the Bible says that the devil led Jesus in a moment of time to see the kingdoms of this world. And he says, all that I have, all this authority, I can give to you if you would just simply bow down. All that I have. 
Now, the reality is this, is that at the end of the day, Jesus is all that we need. He is the ultimate authority. I'm not going to go deeper into that subject right now, but there's a greater theme that's going on there. But the idea is this, is that the devil is trying to say that I have everything, Jesus. I'm going to surround you with all these different things that you do not have. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. That's number two. Number three, he takes them to the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, if you throw yourself down, you could command the angels to keep you from dashing your foot upon the rock. So what does he do? He tries to tempt him into using his power from within to stop him from a power that was trying to kill him. Later on in Matthew 16, after Peter recognizes who Jesus is, in the very same conversation, Jesus says the Son of Man is going to have to go and suffer many things. They're going to kill him, but in three days he's going to rise again. And we know the story. Peter rebukes him. And how does Jesus respond to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. Isn't it amazing how the enemy used somebody that was closest with Jesus on the inside to try and overthrow the entire operation? The devil will either work against you, around you, or within you. These are the strategies of how the devil operates. And he will stop at nothing, nothing to keep you from being able to advance. But see, here's the thing. Now that we know that the devil's got strategies, how many know that we have strategies? But before I get to those strategies, I want to I just walk you through Nehemiah chapter 4. Just a couple of lines that I think are quite interesting. I'm going to paraphrase them all. Because your homework will be to actually read Nehemiah chapter 4. I can't give you everything. Next week we'll have an open book test. How about that? But, but I want you to see this because every time that you advance, I'm going to say something. Earmuffs if you're under the age of 10. You want to know how to piss the devil off? Whoa, oh my gosh, pastor just said that. Yes, I did just say that. You know why? Because I'm not giving the devil an upper hand on my life. I want to make him mad. I want to anger him. I want to infuriate him. I want to let that devil know there ain't no devil in hell that's going to stop me from who God's called me to be. So I want to make him so upset. Right? So watch this. Nehemiah, here's all these things that Sambalot's talking about. Doesn't even give a response back to, 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 to Sambalot. Nehemiah doesn't give a response. He goes to God. But every time that Nehemiah goes to God, the people of God continue their work, here's what happens. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, when Sambalot hears about what Nehemiah is doing, he gets disturbed. Whenever you're advancing, the enemy is going to get disturbed. In chapter 2 verse 19, after he was disturbed and he saw that Nehemiah was putting together these plans to, to build, he began to accuse Nehemiah that he was trying to overthrow the king. And I'm going to tell you this, anytime that you are doing a work for God, the enemy will start accusing you that your motive is incorrect. The enemy will try to plant seeds into your mind and into your heart that what you're doing, that's not for God, you're in it for yourself. You're not really doing things that are right. The enemy will begin to, to, to release some different gossip behind the scenes. And that's how it starts. I could see Sambalot telling Tobiah, can you believe Nehemiah? A little, little finger gossip going on. 
little text messaging going back and forth. I can't believe this. I know I can't believe this. And so what happens? They start to get angry. In Nehemiah chapter 4, or excuse me, in Nehemiah chapter, chapter 1, the Bible says that they got very angry. So as you're advancing, you're going to move the enemy from being disturbed. He's going to become critical. He's going to get angry. He'll get very angry. And that's where I want the devil. I want him very angry. I want to get him very angry. Because it's letting him know, you ain't got nothing on me. So he gets very angry. Then look at this, Nehemiah 4 verses 2 and 3. They start to plant a PR story about Nehemiah and his motives. What would that translate to today is the moment you start doing a work for God, isn't it amazing how all of a sudden everybody on social media starts hating you? People start commenting, start DMing you, start spreading a whole bunch of things. They're just going to take one portion of your sermon and use it as negative clickbait so they can say, look, heresy. This is what we do today. So we got all this stuff that's going around talking all this negative junk about Nehemiah trying to shut him down. Well, none of that's working. And the enemy is coming against Nehemiah. So now what does the enemy do? He says, well, I'm gonna, if I can't come against him with my words, I'm going to come around him with people. So he starts to get the Sumerian army. We're going to surround them. And now let's see what they're going to do. We're going to make them feel that our people are greater than him and his people. And the enemy is going to start to surround you, making you feel that the things that are around you is greater than the God that is for you. But the God that is for you is greater than the things that are around you. And so, verses 2 and 3, man, he's talking a whole bunch of mess. But then check this out. In, in, in Nehemiah 4, verse 7, it says that he got very angry. One translation says he was burning hot with anger. In any time that anger moves to a physical motive, it's called wrath. That's anger in action. The Bible talks about be careful not to allow yourself to become so angry that you're motivated and you're moved with wrath. That's anger in action. He does not want the people of God in anger in action. That's why he says, be swift to listen, slow to speak, not easily angered. Nehemiah is not getting easily angered, but the enemy is. So now the enemy says, we're going to plot against them. We're going to conspire against them. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 8, they start to put together a plan of how they're going to physically harm them. They even say this. We are going to go and we're going to kill all of those feeble men and women that are rebuilding the walls. But here's the deal. They're not going to know or see us coming. And when we kill them, the work will cease and they will disperse. That's an indicator that the enemy is going to try and sneak up on you. And if he can catch you slipping, if he can catch your blind spot, then he knows that he can get you to stop the work that God's called you to do. And he knows that he can get you to run away from that purpose. See, the enemy's strategies are rooted in fear and ignorance. And if the devil can keep you fearful, and if he can keep you stupid, I'm sorry that I'm using these words today, but if he can keep you fearful and ignorant and unaware of the word of God, he's got you. And that's why it's important that we understand that as the people of God, we're not fearful but faithful. And when we're faithful... According to his word, we're not going to be in a place that we're ignorant, but we're in a place that we're empowered by his word. We've got the knowledge and the revelation of God's word at work for us. So look at this. They conspire to cause physical harm ultimately 
to bring about confusion. There is a sevenfold progression of how the enemy got angered. He started off by being disturbed. He became critical. He got angry. He got more critical. He got very angry. They conspired against them ultimately to bring about confusion. Here's something that's so important to note. In Nehemiah chapter 4, the people of God were not afraid, were not fearful. They had already built the wall half its height. But at the moment that they start hearing all of the talk of the enemy, they begin to say, we're tired, we're weak, we don't know if we can do it. Fear never entered into the minds of the people regarding the work that they were supposed to do until all of these threats started coming. In the moment that these threats came, the, the people of God are starting to question. And Nehemiah said, if I heard it once, I heard it ten times that we're supposed to run, abort, abandon ship, stop what we're doing. We're tired. We're worn out. Listen, I'm here to tell you the enemy is going to come at you in your weakest moment, in your tiredest moment. He's not going to come at you when everything's all great and gravy and nice and, and bright. He's going to come at you when you're beaten down, when you're worn out. But that's why the Bible says that when you wait on the Lord, he'll renew your strength. You got to wait on him. You got to rest in him. You got to keep your faith and your focus in him. So the devil's got three strategies that's rooted in fear. He's got a progression that when you are advancing, how he's going to respond. So if we know the tactics of the enemy, what is our strategies as a believer to be able to deal with the devil? And it's simple. It's these three things. Write these down. Number one, you have to pray. Wow, that sounds like wisdom. Absolutely. I don't know how many times I've been saying it all year. Stop coming to God in prayer when you're in your problem. Bring them into your plan. So that when your problem does come up, you automatically know what you're supposed to do. When the problem came up, Nehemiah just said, Lord, turn their taunt, turn their criticism, turn their remarks back on their own head. He didn't say, oh, God, what am I supposed to do? Oh, Lord, how are we going to be able to finish this work? Oh, no, there's so much going That's how we pray. We pray as if we live our lives as weak Christians, and you need to pray as a victorious Christian. God's given you authority as a child of God. God has given you power. God has given you an ability through Christ Jesus to prevail over every devil, over every adversary that tries to come against you. And so Nehemiah prays and he says, just turn all this junk they're talking, throw it back on them. We got things we got to do around here. We got work to get done. I got time to get distracted. I don't have time to lose my focus. I got to stay dialed in right now. Church, you got to stay dialed in right now. This is a year the Lord wants you to flourish. This is a year that God wants to do great and mighty things in your life, in your family, for your future. You ain't got time to worry about that. So your prayer needs to be, Lord, every single person that's trying to come against me or every single trick of the enemy that's trying to against me, turn it back on them a hundredfold. And bless me in the process, because that's what Nehemiah said. Continue to bless me. Well, but pastor, I thought we are supposed to pray for our enemies. I pray for my enemies. God, I pray for them, but at the same time, I'm not going to let their foolishness hinder my faithfulness. And so here he is, and he understood, I need to be a person of prayer. His very first response, when the enemy was trying to advance, he turned in prayer. The next thing that he did was he protected. You say, what do you mean he protected? 
he got wind of all the plans that the enemy was trying to do to overthrow him. So he took the people of God that were rebuilding the walls and he stationed them with swords, with bows. I mean, this must have been an open carry state. <laughs> I mean, they're doing the work of God and I mean, they're strapping right on them. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> and so he stations the people around the wall. And they get in this rhythm where one group works and the other group protects. And then the other group protects while the other group works. Doesn't that sound like a novel idea for the church? Let that sink in for a second. Stop fighting against each other and, stop, and start fighting for one another. We get so upset and lose our focus that we fight with one another and the devil loves that because it creates division. Don't fight against each other. Fight for one another. Because Nehemiah gives this charge and he says this. As he stationed them to protect the walls, he says, now fight for your brothers. Fight for your sisters. Fight for your mothers. Fight for your fathers. Fight for the brethren. Fight for your households. Fight for your family. And there's something that has to rise up in you that what you're doing is not just about you, but how God wants to use you to be a blessing to others. So we got to fight for one another and what God's called us to do. That's why we're better together. Tell somebody, we're better together. And so he positions them all around to fight, to protect. Now, there's only one fight in the Bible that we're instructed to fight. And it's in Timothy, and Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And while we're reading out of this story, while they were positioning themselves with, with weapons and things to protect the walls, what I want to share is this, is that as believers, the fight that we're fighting is one of faith. This is important. Because faith is not you air-punching the devil. I heard Dr. Fred Price say this one time. He said, if you think that you could take on a demon or a devil, you're out of your mind. They're a spirit being and you can't even see them. I don't care if he's one-eyed and bound up with bandages. You ain't going to touch him. So he says he's given you one fight to fight against every principality, power, wickedness, and spiritual thing that would try and rise against you. And that is the fight of faith. What is the fight of faith? Faith is not striving. Faith is surrendering. The Bible says in both the book of James and the book of Peter that you resist the devil. But you know what? You assist the devil when you're looking to try and fight devils with these things. Put these things down. Know that he has given you a faith, a posture, a surrender to know that God already goes before you to fight all of your battles. So in order to fight the good fight of faith, you have to be in a constant state of readiness. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, is he says you need to be sober, be vigilant, be watchful for your enemy, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who is he seeking? You. What is he trying to do? Devour you. What is he trying to stop? You. But how do you deal with him? You resist him and you stand steadfast in faith. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, strengthen yourself in the might of the Lord by putting on the whole armor of God. 
And as the writer begins to unfold the different pieces of the armor, he draws our attention to one specific piece, and that is the shield. He says, above all, if nothing else, there is one thing you do. You need to lift up the shield of faith, that it will stop the attack, the darts, the scheme, the wiles, the plans, the tricks, the deception of the enemy. It's your faith. It's your faith. Your faith is what's going to allow you to prevail and win. It's your trust. It's you saying, God, I know that you're in this thing. I am not going to leave the mission. I am not going to stop building, and I'm not going to stop progressing, and I'm not going to stop advancing in where and what you've assigned me to do. Our strategies is to pray, to protect by living in a constant state of awareness, and that's the thing, the Lord, you say, I, mean, I've, I've, I keep struggling with the same things over and over and over. And I keep falling back into the addiction. I keep looking at the same old, uh, you know, adult websites. I keep going back to the same bars and places and I can't get ahead of this thing. I keep going back into the same fights. It's because he's catching you while you're slipping. You're not being watchful. You got to be on guard. I shared this story backstage. Uh, we had an opportunity to do a missions trip a couple years ago. I heard the school talk about theirs to Cuba and uh, made me think about the story. And um, we did a missions trip to Nicaragua. And uh, first night there, uh, we were asked to go to a dinner. So I was like, awesome, great, we're going to eat, amazing. And so um, I threw on some flip-flops, a pair of jorts, and a t-shirt. Jorts are cut jeans, shorts. I know, someone's like, what did he just say, jorts? Yeah, I was wearing jorts. They stopped at the knee, though. A little modesty. So we're over there, and I thought we were going to dinner. They told us we were going to dinner. Remember this? We thought we were going to dinner. Instead, they took us to a church with 800 people, and it was a church service. And over there, everybody's like shirt, tie, holding their Bibles. Ready to receive the fire of the Holy Spirit? I mean, they were, I, I'm telling you. So we walk in and I'm like, what? This is not dinner. What, did, what, what kind of trickery is this? Then the pastor comes over to me and says, we're so glad that you and your church are here. We're excited about the work that's going to take place over these next several days. It would be a great honor. I love how they lead in with that. It would be a great honor if you would preach the word tonight. So at the time, I had one of my armor bearers that was with me who used to live here. Uh, his name was Bennett. And I look at Bennett and I'm like, you're in a button-down shirt, you're in jeans, and you're in boots. You are like, like light years ahead of where I am right now. Quick, let's go out to the church alley. Take off your clothes. He's taking off his clothes and I'm keeping watch. All right, you good? All right, I'm taking off my clothes. You keep watch. <laughs> so we're changing in the back alley of a church, right? I'm putting on his jeans. I'm putting on his boots. I'm putting on his button-down shirt. You know, of course, I'm doing one of those, like, hygiene checks, just making sure. Okay, good. He's got deodorant on. Like, you know, if ministry time gets going, I want to, you know. So, you know, I'm like, you be watchful, and then I'm going to be watchful. We're going to stand guard. We're going to protect one another. Right? And so we change, we go back inside, and the pastor looks me up and down. 
Let's go and preach the word. And so we preached and we ministered that night. The point was this, is the fact that the enemy is, oh gosh, I'm sorry. The enemy wants to catch you with your pants down. He wants to catch you when you're exposed, guys. He wants to catch you when you're not looking. He wants to catch you when you think that everything is okay, but the reality is, is that you didn't have your A game on that moment because you thought you were good with God because my prayer that I had about three weeks ago that I haven't picked up since then is enough to sustain me for the next three weeks. No, it's not. The scripture that I read, you know, about five months ago, that's good enough to sustain me. No, no, it's not. You know, it's okay. I haven't been in church in a long time, but, uh, you know, I'll just stream about 50 other churches on a Sunday morning, and hopefully I'll grab something that makes me feel like I got the whipped cream of the word to taste good today. No, you ain't any better. You're exposed. You're not watchful. You're not vigilant. And you wonder why the devil is beating you down? And here's the deal. The devil ain't showing up at your door physically. He's going to knock you down, coming at you emotionally, mentally. People, places, things, that's what he does. Peter says, be watchful, be vigilant. Your enemy, he's coming. But here's the deal when you stand firm in faith. Your enemy might come at you one way, but he's going to flee and scatter a whole bunch of other ways. Because nothing can stop what God starts. And when you're prayed up, when you're protected, then you're in a position for the third strategy, which is to prosper. Pray, protect, prosper. The devil will come at you, around you, or try to rise up within you. But when you pray, protect, and prosper, it shuts it down. Now, I want you to hear this. That when Jesus fasted, the Bible says after the devil tempted him with everything, which was those three things, by the way, it said that he departed from Jesus until another opportune time. Your key to continually having victory is to be prayed up, to be watchful in a place that you're protected, and to continue to prosper. Nehemiah didn't even think twice in his head about this whole situation, about building the work and the enemy coming. They just continue to work. He just continued. He just continued. He didn't even stop. He prayed to God. He put people in position. And the Bible says that God frustrated the plans of the enemy. Now, how did God frustrate the plans of the enemy? Because Nehemiah prayed, had revelation of the plans, and got in position to protect his plans. Just keep on prospering. Keep on protecting, keep on praying. This is your year that the Lord will cause you to rise and build, and you shall flourish. I want to close this morning. I know that this morning's been a little bit more teaching, but I want to get these things into your heart and into your spirit. I, I've been asking the Lord all year, why is this thing keep rising up in me about, you know, knowing who we are as the church? And it's because I'm tired of the people of God almost running on treadmills. It's like we're, we're running, but we're not going anywhere. Like the hamster on the wheel. You just keep repeating the same thing, same thing. No, this is your year that the Lord wants to cut you loose and have you progress like no other. It's your year to flourish. But it's got to start when you know who you are in Christ Jesus. You've got to have that godly grit. You've got to know that you are strong and mighty in the things of the Lord. 
to read this last scripture as I close this morning, and I've already said it, but Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, 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 guys, finally, here we go, finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord, finally. Can I say this year, can I speak this year? Can we finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.